This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Making Time for Christlike Service. In the first half, Sherry Patton Palmer shares her address, Convenient Service. Then in the second half, Elder Richard J. Main speaks on Shape Your Life Through Service to Others. The title of my talk is Convenient Service. You may think this is an oxymoron, but during the course of this talk, I hope to explain why it should not be. Jesus Christ preached, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If any man will come after me, he said, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. President Monson said, I believe the Savior is telling us that unless we lose ourselves in service to others, there is little purpose to our own lives. Those who live only for themselves eventually shrivel up and figuratively lose their lives while those who lose themselves in service to others grow and flourish and, in effect, save their lives. Furthermore, in Revelation 2.19 it says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notice how works is in the scripture twice. Actually, I believe it is in there four times as charity and service could also be works. Heavenly Father is saying here, He knows our works. So what works or service are we personally known for? Do we hesitate when confronted with the opportunity to serve? Is it convenient to serve? Or is service something we sign up for once in a while when the sign-up sheet is passed around? With my profession as a nurse and my job here at BYU, I have the opportunity to work both locally and abroad with the sick in hospitals in many communities. Much of what I see is humbling and life-changing. I would like to relate an experience of service a few years ago. I was in a hospital in a developing country doing research for my doctoral project. In many hospitals or healthcare facilities in third world countries, medicine is not available to the patients from the hospital itself. If the doctor feels the patient should receive a particular medicine, even if it is life-saving, a prescription is written out to the family, and they need to take it to the pharmacy, pay for it, then bring it back to the hospital for administration to the patient. Understandably, this is difficult for many patients, and they do not get medicines as their family simply could not afford them. Partly due to these circumstances, it is not uncommon for there to be many beggars just outside the hospital grounds with their hands outstretched for money. But once you get in the gates of the complex, you usually aren't asked for money. In fact, I had become quite callous to this situation. I had been in the hospital working for a few days in the intensive care unit. As I was doing research, I was observing and taking notes on the care that the patients were receiving. Little did I realize that people were watching and noticing me. As I walked across the hospital campus, a little lady came up to me. She introduced herself and said she had been watching me in the intensive care unit. Her son was a patient there. She stated her son was ill from a car crash on a ventilator and not doing well. I could not remember which patient was her son. As she continued explaining the situation, she started pulling out a piece of paper. As I saw it, I thought, oh no, this is a prescription and she is going to ask me for money. I then thought about the $20 bill I had in my pocket. I don't carry a lot of money when I travel, and I had been waiting to eat all week at the restaurant in order to order roast beef, which is delicious and cheap compared to American standards. I told her I didn't have any money, and I walked away. She was just another beggar. I walked away quickly and after a few moments turned around and looked at her.
She was looking around with a look of, what do I do now? My heart was pierced. I couldn't believe I was eager to eat roast beef over giving this woman money that would possibly enable her son to live. I couldn't allow it. I quickly ran back down the steps and said, Espera, senora, wait. I have money to give you. She accepted my $20 with tears in her eyes, and tears were in mine also. The desire to help another was strong. I am glad I had this experience, as I have been able to reflect on it a lot. I call it my personal parable of the roast beef. So what of these people who are less fortunate than us? How do we serve them? With my travels, I have wondered why there is so much variation of wealth, health, or material blessings. What do others desire when they appear to have so little? Elder Maxwell said something that has helped me understand. God thus takes into merciful account not only our desires and our performance, but also the degrees of difficulty which our varied circumstances impose upon us. So, of course, everybody has similar desires, but it is the performance and the degree of difficulty it takes for us to perform that God considers. Degrees of difficulty, God takes that into account. So what does that say when it is truly easy to give a little service because of our blessings and fortune? Well, where much is given, much is required. We have a low degree of difficulty and should really be getting off the couch, so to speak, and provide meaningful service. We are blessed for a reason. If it is only a little difficult to render service, how do we not do it more often? If it is only a little inconvenient, why can't we do it more frequently? What about those who have a higher degree of difficulty in providing service? Think of those who are struggling in the world. I'm sure many missionaries can relate to the same experience I had on my mission years ago. Families who had little to eat themselves would prepare food for the missionaries. Surely these families have a different degree of difficulty when it comes to giving and rendering service. I clearly remember an episode of service on my mission over 30 years ago. This was one of those occasions where we thought we were the ones giving service, but as it turns out, we were the ones being served. My companion and I had traveled to a little settlement in Itacari, Paraguay. This area was basically a large member family with a few neighbors who were investigating. We were going out to visit the family and attend church and the baptism the next day. As it took so long to travel the dirt roads and crossing streams, we had to stay the night with the family. Even though it was in a jungle, it was cold. The parents gave my companion and I their one bed and their one blanket. The large family then slept on the dirt floor in the next room, with the little ones tucked between them. I froze that night. I kept on all my clothes, my sweater, even my rubber boots. I felt so guilty and was so cold I could not sleep. The next day, as we sat on logs under the open sky for fast and testimony meeting, the family could not express enough thanks for my companion and me coming all the way out to visit them on this special occasion. My heart was pierced. It was then that I realized that this family had provided me service in the way that they could, providing their own bed and blanket on a chilly night in Paraguay. Even though there are material inequalities in the world, we all can have the righteous desire to serve. And it is the pursuit of these righteous desires that measures our rewards in heaven. We do not have to travel abroad to have fascinating and memorable experiences of service. We can and should start right here in our homes and neighborhoods. Jesus did not travel very far. Often he served those very near to him. We have opportunities to serve by simply being sons and daughters fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters. We serve through our church callings and by being members of our ward. 
I often think that Heavenly Father will ask me, What did you do to serve the women you visit taught? Or how did you change the lives of them or help them in their times of need? How did you serve your brothers? Did you even notice they needed help? These can be sobering thoughts. So how can we make service convenient? We start by practicing automatic responses. Let me relate another little experience. This was only a few months after my experience in the hospital and the roast beef money. It was Christmas time. I was in the checkout line at Walmart, thinking of all I had to do. I was watching the young couple in front of me buying a little girl's bike. It was around $65, and I watched the man hand over dollar bills, then frustratingly search in his pockets for change. Then they searched in the woman's purse for money. I averted my eyes to avoid additional embarrassment for them. Even at that moment, I felt uncomfortable and awkward. I guess they finally came up with the right amount of money. I was too busy trying not to notice. After I made my purchase, I followed them out of the store, again realizing I had missed the opportunity to help. It was most likely only a few dollars they needed. Where had my desire gone? Why couldn't I have just handed them a few dollars? Again, I couldn't believe it. Why hadn't I performed an automatic response? Giving service and having it become convenient is a work in progress. As I was in the temple the other night, I thought about how tightly related sacrifice is with service and consecration. It is a stepping stone towards these two great doctrines of our religion. Just how big the stepping stone of service is up to us. Are the stepping stones of service huge, insurmountable boulders that we believe are set in our way? Or are they merely soft, round pebbles that line the way of our pathway back to our Savior? We may find that these pebbles become convenient guides that will help us along the way. If we can master the task of providing service to those around us, how much easier then is it to sacrifice for others and consecrate what we do for the Lord? Bruce R. McConkie gave a talk in April 1975 about obedience, consecration, and sacrifice. He said, We have covenanted in the waters of baptism to love and serve Him, to keep His commandments, and to put first in our lives the things of the kingdom. In return, He has promised us eternal life in His Father's kingdom. We are thus in a position to receive and obey some of the higher laws which prepare us for that eternal life which we so sincerely speak. He goes on to say, It is written, He who is not able to abide the law of a celestial kingdom cannot abide a celestial glory. The law of sacrifice is a celestial law. So also is the law of consecration. Thus, to gain that celestial reward, which we so devoutly desire, we must be able to live these two laws, sacrifice and consecration, are inseparably intertwined. So I would like to add, how can we ever get to the laws of sacrifice and consecration without first applying service in our lives? When we are physically serving our brother, we are sacrificing, whether it be our time, our physical ability, or our material blessings. When we perform service with the right kind of spirit, we practice consecration. We are consecrating our time, our physical ability, our material blessings to others, and in essence to the Lord. Service in our lives is similar to stepping stones. The way we perceive or encounter service determines the size of these stones. Are they helpful or are they hindrances to our eternal progression? Just like we consciously work on other fine attributes in our lives, we need to put in place a conscious decision to make service convenient. We need to plan on this behavior. President Thomas S. Monson taught Brigham Young University students 
that their student day should include the matter of spiritual preparation, including service to others. An attitude of love characterized the mission of the Master, President Monson said. He gave sight to the blind, legs to the lame, and life to the dead. Perhaps when we face our Maker, we will not be asked, How many positions did you hold? But rather, How many people did you help? In reality, President Monson concluded, You can never love the Lord until you serve Him by serving His people. I'd like to look at examples of Jesus Christ when He served. What were His interactions like? Was service convenient for Him? Let's take a look at some of these interactions. In Matthew 8, 2-3, And behold, there came a leper, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. Matthew eight fourteen, And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand. Matthew nine eighteen, Behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him. Matthew 9.20 And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. But Jesus turned him around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. And Matthew 9.35-36 And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. What was Jesus doing? He touched. He said, I will. He arose. He turned around. He was moved with compassion. These are characteristics of kindness and love. He was not inconvenienced. It was his way of life. When we act and serve as Jesus did, we become more like him. How can we make service our way of life? How can we make it be an immediate reaction instead of a thought-out action? How can we make it convenient? We can prepare for service. It may start out with creating a habit of always being willing to or being ready to do something. Maybe you enjoy mowing the lawn, so if a neighbor needs help, that can be your automatic reaction. You can mow their lawn. Or maybe you have a special chicken enchilada recipe that turns out great every time. That can be your automatic reaction if there is a need for a meal in your ward. Maybe you have a keen listening ear and enjoy conversation. That can be your automatic reaction when a family member is in need. The key is to create automatic reactions within ourselves. They do not have to be big service activities. President Spencer W. Kimball said, It is vital that we serve each other in the kingdom. So often our acts of service consist of simple encouragement or of giving help with mundane tasks. But what glorious consequences can flow from small but deliberate deeds. Elder Vaughn Featherstone gave a talk about serving when it is inconvenient. He said, Now, my young friends, think of all the opportunities you will have time to serve at inconvenient times. I promise you that most of the service you render to the Lord will come at times not convenient to you. Think about some of them. Your call to serve an 18-month mission right in the middle of schooling, courting, or vocational training. A call to serve in the ward when you have school grades to maintain and a social life to fulfill. An invitation to speak at church. Home teaching visits. Early morning seminary, which in many stakes begins at 6 a.m., not a convenient hour. A hospital visit to a sick friend. Assisting a friend in his or her school election campaign. Someone with a flat tire or other car problems on the highway, it generally is not a convenient time to stop. 
shoveling snow or mowing a lawn of someone in need, a widow or neighbor, when your day is already too full. Elder Featherstone goes on to say, I could list many, many more opportunities that may well come to all of us in a lifetime, but most often at an inappropriate time. You can make a decision that you are too busy, but that is generally just an excuse. My beloved young friends, determined to serve one another, listen to the Spirit when your flesh is weak. For truly the Master said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. The blessings are tenfold when we do those good, kindly acts of service when it is inopportune or not convenient. End of quote. I appreciate Sister Burton's advice to first observe, then serve. How closely do we observe? What do we notice as we go about our daily hurried lives? What can you do as a BYU student? Take a look around you. Do as Sister Burton said, first observe, then serve. I have seen students sit by themselves an entire semester. I have seen students not talk to anybody during class breaks. We need to serve those around us, whether they are family, roommates, classmates, or neighbors. I have experienced memorable acts of service. I have been the giver and the receiver, yet even with many years of experience, I still struggle with how convenient is that service. I have felt my heart pierced with love, compassion, thankfulness, and the Spirit. Shouldn't these feelings be enough motivation? My memories of two opposite experiences lately are vivid. My parable of the roast beef keeps me remembering of how it feels to serve. My experience in Walmart at Christmas time is a sobering, memorable occurrence of not serving or not observing. In fact, I averted my eyes to the need for a dollar or two. Yes, service, becoming convenient, is a work in progress. Giving service throughout our lives is like being led down a beautiful path of stepping stones. However, to make service convenient, we must practice and practice. I think about and study the life of our Savior, how He acted, how He served. This is an example to me. Again, what was Jesus doing? He said, I will. He touched. He arose. He turned around. He was moved with compassion. These are characteristics of kindness and love. He was not inconvenienced. It was His way of life. May we, I pray, make this our way of life also. I say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Making Time for Christ-like Service. We've just heard from Sherry Patton Palmer. After the break, we'll return with Elder Richard J. Maines for Shape Your Life Through Service to Others. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Making Time for Christ-like Service. Next is Elder Richard J. Maines, a General Authority 70 of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, titled, Shape Your Life Through Service to Others. Good morning, my young brothers and sisters. You're an inspiring sight. I have the opportunity to visit your campus often with my various church assignments. But seeing you here today brings back a flood of wonderful memories from a time in my life when I sat where you are now sitting. The year was 1968, and I was a freshman here at Brigham Young University. I remember well the excitement and, of course, the anxiety that many of you who are entering as freshmen are feeling right now, not knowing exactly what lies ahead. To those of you who are returning for your sophomore, junior, or senior years, I likewise know the excitement and anxiety you are feeling because you are beginning to have a better sense of what lies ahead. (laughs) 
After beginning my studies here in 1968, I had the privilege of serving a full-time mission between 1970 and 72. After my mission, I returned to finish my studies and graduated in the summer of 1974. I married my beautiful wife, Nancy, the day after I graduated. We have four children, and all of whom have graduated from Brigham Young University. So our family has great memories of BYU, and it's wonderful to be on, back on campus with you today. Brothers and sisters, I feel I was led to focus my message this morning on the gospel principle that has been the source of the most joy and fulfillment in my life throughout the 43 years since my graduation from this very special institution. Therefore, with this thought in mind, I have entitled my message, Shape Your Life Through Service to Others. Like many of you, when I arrived on campus as a freshman, I was greeted by a large sign on the western edge of campus that reads, Enter to Learn, Go Forth to Serve. Not only is this one of the first sights most people see when they arrive on campus, but I think it is also one of the last sights they see. It has become the backdrop for many a picture as students celebrate their graduation day with loved ones. A past president of Brigham Young University, Ernest L. Wilkinson, adopted the slogan in 1966 for the university. For over 50 years now, the slogan has greeted students and faculty, parents and visitors, ambassadors and dignitaries from across the globe. While speaking here in 2003, President Gordon B. Hinckley urged every student to make Enter to Learn, Go Forth to Serve his or her personal motto. President Hinckley said at that time, Mediocrity will never do. You are capable of something better. Walk the high road of charity, respect, and love for others, and particularly those who are less fortunate. Please remember, my young friends, that being the best at something doesn't make you a good person. You can be number one in your academic field. You can be an accomplished musician or artist, or you can be an all-American athlete. But none of these accomplishments make you a good person. What you actually do to bless others with your knowledge and talents is what makes you a good person. For those of you who have a smartphone, please take it out of your pocket, backpack, or purse and hold it up like this. Now let me tell you a little about these computers you hold in your hands. Thank you. In terms of raw processing power, the computer in your hand has capabilities far greater than the supercomputers that took up thousands of square feet in the late 60s and early 70s when I attended BYU. In fact, a smartphone is millions of times more powerful than the computers used to send the Apollo missions to the moon. Through your smartphone, you have the ability to easily access more content in more ways than your parents ever dreamed would be possible. You can send images with Snapchat, scroll through Instagram, and shop for your mother's birthday present without missing a beat. At any moment, you have access to more than 40 million Wikipedia articles in 293 languages. 750,000 ebooks on Kindle, 30 million songs on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon, and 5,500 movies and television shows on Netflix. You have instant access to vast amounts of information that is growing at incredible rates. In just a single minute, more than 500 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube, 448,000 tweets are posted to Twitter. 65,000 Instagram photos are posted, and 3.3 million posts are made to Facebook. Remember, all of that occurs each minute. This flood of information can become almost all-consuming. On any given day, the average user spends 148 minutes streaming music, 40 minutes on YouTube, 35 minutes on Facebook, 25 minutes on Snapchat, and 15 minutes on Instagram. So, the average user spends four hours and 23 minutes online every day. Therefore, during an average lifetime, years will be spent on social media. With those alarming statistics in mind, I ask, how are you spending your time? 
I love how Doctrine and Covenants 59.23 helps us understand exactly what the best use of our time is. Quote, He who doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. In this revelation, the Lord tells us that the best use of our time now and throughout our lives is doing the works of righteousness. What are the works of righteousness? Let's look at some examples of how the Lord Jesus Christ and his prophets have answered that question. Remember when the lawyer asked Jesus the question, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus answered him by saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Remember when King Benjamin shared these inspiring words with his people? I tell you these things that ye may learn wisdom, that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. Remember in the priesthood session of our last general conference in April 2017, President Thomas S. Monson admonished us and taught us the same principle in this way. Let us examine our lives and determine to follow the Savior's example by being kind, loving, and charitable. And as we do so, we will be in a better position to call down the powers of heaven for ourselves, for our families, and for our fellow travelers in this sometimes difficult journey back to our heavenly home. Today, with all the information available to you in an instant on the Internet, it is easy to get distracted. How do you determine what is the most important information you need to know and understand? The most important information any of us could hope for is the answer to this question. What is my purpose in life? I have never met anyone who wouldn't appreciate knowing the answer to that question. The answer is found within the great plan of salvation, which has been taught by the Savior and His holy prophets throughout history. If we are fortunate enough to have a knowledge and testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, we had better take full advantage of that knowledge and testimony and act accordingly. Acting according to our knowledge and testimony of the plan of salvation would obviously be the best and most appropriate use of our time, not only as a university student, but throughout your life. Of course, we all recognize as we journey through life our worldly priorities change. Your worldly priority are currently focused on getting a formal education. But that will change when you get married, have children, develop careers, and grow older. However, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, our most important eternal priorities remain unchanged throughout our lives. There might be a tendency in your youth to put a little too much focus on yourselves, which is easy to do as you plan and work towards your future. You are probably pondering questions such as, What should I major in? Should I go on to graduate school? Where will I work? These questions all relate to important aspects of your lives, but they are all secondary to the most important questions that relate to your spiritual lives, such as, What can I do to be more Christ-like today? And, Is there someone I can help today? This principle was taught in a recent broadcast of Music in the Spoken Word as follows. It's easy in this self-focused world to become self-focused. Our needs, our wants, our desires, and ambitions can be so consuming that they crowd out other people. It's amazing how often we drown in things that can be so superficial. Of course, few would fault a person for seeking to improve his or her life and living with purpose and goals. But when our pursuits of personal growth and happiness causes us to ignore others, it becomes selfishness, and that leads to stagnation, not growth, despair, not happiness, and ultimately loneliness. Elder Neil A. Maxwell put it this way, Why worry about selfishness? Because selfishness is really self-destruction in slow motion. 
President Gordon B. Hinckley taught us how to stay focused on the teachings of the Savior. Quote, the antidote of selfishness is service, a reaching out to those about us, those in the home, and those beyond the walls of our home. Will you take a moment right now to envision yourselves in the stage of life similar to your grandparents, or for some of you, your great-grandparents? You've lived a long life, and it's becoming more apparent that you are getting closer to the time when you will move on to the next life. What will you be taking with you on that journey? The answer is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can only take with you what you have become. For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. The following experience from the book of Luke should help us understand how important it is to follow the Savior's example in providing loving service to our fellow men rather than getting caught up in the busyness of the day. This experience is recorded in Luke 18, 35-43. And it came to pass that as Jesus was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now I would like to take a moment on the next verse, verse 39, which reads, And they which went before rebuked the blind man that he should hold his peace. Brothers and sisters, how do you interpret the phrase we just read? And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. Why would anyone in Jesus' travel party rebuke the blind man? Perhaps they loved Jesus and were trying to protect him. Or perhaps they were in a hurry to get to Jericho. Or maybe they did not understand Jesus' mission and purpose. Let's read the verse 39 again and continue the story to the end. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. So, what do we learn from Jesus as he taught his disciples that day? He taught that we should focus on what's truly important. And what is truly important is blessing the lives of others. Are we sometimes blinded by the activities of each day and forget to live as true disciples of Christ and serve our fellow men as he taught? President Monson is surely one who would never rebuke the blind man or isolate anyone in need from a source of help and support. Let's view a brief video clip from a talk in which President Monson addressed this great principle of living a life of service, compassion, and charity. My brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by those in need of our attention, our encouragement, our support, our comfort, our kindness. Be they family members, friends, acquaintances, or strangers, we are the Lord's hands here upon the earth with a mandate to serve and to lift His children. He is dependent upon each of us. How many times has your heart been touched as you have witnessed the need of another? How often have you intended to be the one to help? And yet, how often has day-to-day living interfered and you left it for others to help? We become so caught up in the busyness of our lives. Were we to step backward, however, and take a good look at what we're doing, we may find that we've immersed ourselves in the thick of thin things. May the words of a familiar hymn 
penetrate our very souls and find lodgment in our hearts. Have I done any good in the world today? Have I helped anyone in need? Have I cheered up the sad and made someone feel glad? If not, I failed indeed. Has anyone's burden been lighter today? Because I was willing to share. Have the sick and the weary been helped on their way? When they needed my help, was I there? That service to which all of us have been called is the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. As He enlists us to His cause, He invites us to draw close to Him. If we truly listen, we may hear that voice from far away say to us, as it spoke to another, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf emphasizes the importance of serving others by teaching us that there is no higher priority than having charity and serving people in need. Quote, we could cover the earth with members of the Church, put a meeting house on every corner, dot the land with temples, fill the earth with copies of the Book of Mormon, send missionaries to every country, and say millions of prayers. But if we neglect to grasp the core of the gospel and fail to help those who suffer or turn away those who mourn, and if we do not remember to be charitable, we are as waste which the refiners do cast out. Having charity and caring for one another is simply not just a good idea. It is not simply one more item in a seemingly infinite list of things we ought to consider doing. It is at the core of the gospel, an indispensable, essential, foundational element. We would now like to take a minute and speak of the practical applications of this doctrine. All who understand the doctrine of Christ understand the importance of applying the principle of charity and service in our personal lives. But it is not always easy to find appropriate service opportunities that we can fit into our schedules amidst our other responsibilities. Understanding this challenge, the First Presidency of the Church has recently authorized an exciting new initiative that will help solve that challenge. Let me read to you a statement from the First Presidency introducing this new community service initiative called Just Serve. Quote, Dear fellow members, in response to the question from the lawyer who asked, And who is my neighbor? Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan, which illustrates for each of us that our neighbor is anyone in need, even the stranger. In the Book of Mormon, King Benjamin instructed his people, Ye will succor those that stand in need of your succor. Ye will administer of your substance unto him that standeth in need, that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. From the earliest days in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have been encouraged to engage in service beyond the walls of our homes and chapels. As God's children, we desire to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. We are grateful for His abundant blessings. Each of us would like to reach out in Christ-like service to share those blessings with others, but we may not know how to start or where to go. JustServe.org is designed as a resource to help us as individuals, families, and groups find opportunities near our homes to help those in need and improve the quality of life in our communities. As we reach out with fellow Latter-day Saints and others who are not of our faith in an effort to help people in need, we create a spirit of love and cooperation that transcends differences and connects us as children of God. May the Lord bless you in this effort to give selfless service as your time and circumstances permit. So, as described by the First Presidency and defined in the Just Serve Community Service Handbook, just Serve is a community service initiative to help Church members follow the Savior's admonition to love thy neighbor as thyself by providing a platform where members and missionaries can find opportunities to relieve suffering, care for the poor and needy, 
and enhance the quality of life in the community. This is not intended to be a burden on the time and resources of the members, nor is it a duty about which one should feel anxious or guilty. It is truly voluntary for those who seek a way to give such service. Because this is a volunteer effort, there are no quotas or record-keeping requirements for members. After the devotional this morning, if you have not already done so, please download the Just Serve app. It is so easy to use. After downloading the app, all you need to do is type in Provo, Utah or your zip code to see what projects in your area have been posted on the site. I entered Provo and over 280 projects within 25 miles came up to choose from. I'm sure you'll be able to find one that interests you. There are projects to help clean up the community, projects to help to support our veterans, projects to help support the elderly, projects to help in food banks and food kitchens, projects to help refugees, and the list goes on and on. I invite you to make your next date a just-served date. How can you go wrong on a date that focuses on serving others who need help or a helping hand? That sounds a lot better than another movie. You won't be alone in using JustServe.org or the JustServe app. Already, over 300,000 volunteers have signed up and over 45,000 projects have been posted since its inception in the United States and Canada. Let's take a quick look at four very brief testimonials from your peers who share their thoughts regarding the impact of their community service efforts. The first is Ada Franson from Los Angeles, California. The second is Henry Christensen from Dallas, Texas. The third is Emma West from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And the fourth is Emma Anderson, also from Los Angeles, California. I am on my phone a lot, but when I do put it down to go do a walk on water and things like this, where I'm not on it the entire day and I'm out there helping the kids, it makes me feel so good. It's a different kind of fun uh, that you just have to experience firsthand, but I found it's a lot more fun than video games. And a lot of people were open to it, and it was a really cool experience. And like every time someone's like, yeah, sure, we'll do that. We kind of fist pumped together and gave each other high fives. And if you don't want to be sad or angry at your situation, like the way to fix that isn't staying in that place. It's by getting out and helping someone else because it helps you not be selfish and not think about your own problems. It's almost like a distraction, but it's one that will heal you. Now let's leave the practical aspects of applying the principle of service and move back to the doctrine as we conclude. These next three statements from past and present leaders should help us understand the role that service to our fellow men could take in our personal lives. First, a statement from President Marion G. Romney. We lose our life by serving and lifting others. By so doing, we experience the only true and lasting happiness. Service is not something we endure on this earth so we can earn the right to live in the celestial kingdom. Service is the very fiber of which an exalted life in the celestial kingdom is made. Second, a statement from President Gordon B. Hinckley. May the real meaning of the gospel distill into our hearts that we may realize that our lives, given us by God our Father, are to be used in the service of others. And third, a statement from President Thomas S. Monson. Unless we lose ourselves in service to others, there is little purpose to our own lives. When I read these statements from our leaders, which support the scriptures we have been reviewing this morning, I feel we are learning what pure religion really means. I am far from perfect in applying this doctrine in my own life. But I have found a powerful way that has helped deepen my understanding of this saving principle and my commitment to living it. Let's go to Moroni 7 and review verses 47 and 48. Verse 47 is one we might know by heart. Charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. When we speak of shaping our lives through service to others, we are really speaking of living a charitable, Christ-like life. 
The Bible dictionary defines charity as the highest, noblest, strongest kind of love, not merely affection. For me, charity, or the pure love of Christ, is a condition of the heart. Charity motivates people to do the right thing for the right reason. Charity particularly motivates a person to do something that is difficult or maybe even impossible for others to do for themselves. Now let's look at verse 48. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that ye may be filled with this love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified even as he is pure. Brothers and sisters, it is my prayer today that we might all pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that we may be filled with the love we call charity, the pure love of Christ. And that pure love will manifest itself in Christ-like service to others. I bear my testimony and my witness of the importance of understanding, internalizing, and living the doctrine of charity in our personal lives. Let us all shape our lives through service to others. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Making Time for Christlike Service with thoughts from Sherry Patton Palmer and Elder Richard J. Maines. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.